welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hi, this is Jed Hall. And for those of you who don't know me yet, I'm an academic development consultant at the University of Leeds. My specialism is research impact, and all of the episodes that relate to that on this podcast can be found through a playlist, which I've put in the show notes. Here in the UK, impact has been evaluated as part of our regular research assessments since the introduction of the Research Excellence Framework, or REF, in 2014. But today I'm taking a wider view of research assessment by talking to Dr Gemma Derrick. Gemma is an Associate Professor at the University of Bristol and works in the Centre of Higher Education Transformations. Her research interests include research of behaviour, academic practice, research evaluation, societal impact, the research workforce and its governance, particularly through review systems, and the politics and dynamics of knowledge production and translation. So because of those interests, she's investigated the effects of national audit frameworks such as REF and lots of others to demonstrate their strengths and weaknesses in, related, in relation to their stated aims. I've followed Gemma's work personally since I was absolutely bowled over by her book, The Evaluator's Eye, and that book was about the um, how reviewers operationalised the REF 2014 impact guidance. You know, it was really, really directly relevant to the to the work I do and I've incorporated many of its findings in the way I've coached impact case study authors to produce those texts since I read that book. Gemma it's lovely to talk to you at last. Hi it's great to be here Jed great to be talking to you. Fantastic so when I was preparing for this interview Gemma I read your bio on the on the Bristol website you're sniggering about it now I'm wishing <laughs> I hadn't written this <laughs> um, but I noticed you put uh, put in a line about an unsuccessful career in musical theatre so before we dive into the to the kind of like more uh, stayed stuff about research assessment I'd love to hear a little bit about those uh, those experiences if you don't mind sharing them. Well, you're over it a little bit, Jed. You said that it was an um, unsuccessful career in musical theatre. A career doesn't really happen until it starts. So <laughs> it was more aspirations to be a musical theatre than anything else. And it was based on my love of singing and dancing. Um, but although I was a decent um, dancer, I, I just can't sing. So perhaps it was more something that I had in my mind <laughs> than something I pursued seriously. I really liked it. I still do put my earphones in, listen to music from musical theatre, as well as all of the Disney classics, and imagine myself singing them. So it would never go away. <laughs> Fantastic. So you, you've never um, you've never thought about trying to sing or maybe even dance your research in a... Well, I like my colleagues too much to sing in public, so I wouldn't do that to them um, or anybody else that I don't know. Um, to dance, no... That's the thing about a, a career that you envisaged many, many years ago. I'm just not as flexible as I used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, the reason for asking is because this year at the UK Knowledge Mobilisation Forum, I saw uh, a lady from Cambridge, uh, Lucy Rycroft-Smith, actually sing a research publication. So, you know, it was, you know, she was investigating the way art forms can help non researchers engage with research outputs so there was a there was a reason behind the the singing of that uh, so 
hence for asking but uh, i guess we better get on to what uh, what your expertise is really all about um so we're, we're talking today a week after the hidden ref festival and you're you're on the um the organizing committee for that so i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the journey up to the up to the actual day of the festival last uh, last week um, and the kind of things that you're hoping to achieve through it. Oh, goodness, leading you up to it. So the Hidden Ref started in 2019 and it was going to have the first exercise in 2020. Um, and the whole I, the way, way that I got on board is that our fearless leader, Professor Simon Hetrick, um, contacted me because he is a um, was his frame of research. Well, he's a software engineer and he's very, very concerned that, you know, what he was doing is a, a very, very, very high, you know, high caliber software engineer was not necessarily refable. And there were many colleagues that felt the same, same thing. So he set up the hidden ref um, and contacted me because he needed some evaluation experience mm. of which I said, this is a brilliant idea. I want to be involved. You seem like a decent chap. Well, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do this. <laughs> Um, and then the committee grew uh, with people who went, yeah, this is the right cause and and I really want to do this. And it ended up being, seriously, it was the most fun I'd had on anything for a very, very long time. And I think that's to do with the people who are on the organizing committee and the people who are on the advisory board or whatever we called are amazing. And I, And to that point, we started this in 2019. And we have been having weekly and monthly meetings since then, even through the pandemic. And yet we had never met each other in person until last Thursday at the Hidden Ref Festival. So the fact that we have weathered the storm, um, we have produced a Hidden Ref, uh, it was going to be 2020, but, you know, something happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it made us feel better that the, the real-time ref, the real ref, got put back one year, so, so did we. Um, and we've, you know done the hidden ref and carried through the momentum um, and it's grown from more than just an exercise that we said we do because we're a, a whole lot of people who had interesting ideas about how the ref could be done better to reflect you know the research that is being done a broader range of research being done and instead of saying well we don't like the ref <laughs> we decided to do it ourselves basically mm. so that's what the hidden ref was We've weathered all the way through that. It's now grown to a movement uh, that basically says that, yeah, there are really important outputs and aspects around research culture that are not refable. And people who are essential to contributing to a vibrant, sustainable, excellent, fun, exciting research culture that we don't necessarily value as much as we can because strategically on the organization level, they're not refable. Yeah. And that has a uh, follow-on effects. So if something's not referable, it's not uh, built into priorities at the organization level. If it's not built into um, priorities at the organization level, it's forgotten, it's yeah. overlooked, it's non-valued non and it's not refed. And so we went, well, we're going to look at that. And instead of thinking that the hidden ref can be a big stress, we said we didn't want our hidden ref to be a big stress, which is why we focused on celebration rather than evaluation because that's what evaluation is. It is a, um, it is, it is in a way a competition, but this is a way that we decided to run it where everybody wins. Mm. Um, and it was the most fun I've had and still continue to have to this day is to participate and work with this incredible group of people at the Hidden Ref who are all very passionate about what they do and are just really nice people to, to work with and sit down and have a drink with too. So um, wouldn't it be great if all our projects are the same? 
Yeah, absolutely. So looking at the Hidden Ref website, it's, um, you know, you said it's a, it's a, it's a movement now. So I was just looking at the website and it said, you will join a community that is fighting for a more effective and fairer system of evaluating success in research. So, so from your, from your research, looking at the different systems that exist around the world, are there any that are, that are more effective and fairer in in your view? It depends on what you mean by effective and fair. Okay, mm. So all audit frameworks have choices made and parameters placed around criteria uh, that dictate what it evaluates and what it doesn't. Um, I think that you need to be very clear that these criterion are built upon priorities and these priorities are dictated mostly top down and a government are in line with government um, authorities or non-research non community-based um priorities they sound good and no one's going to argue with them we all want research to make you know society a better place uh, but an evaluation framework itself is going it can't evaluate the entire aspect of um, research I mean something is always going to be hidden but we wanted to make sure that just because it's hidden it's not forgotten and also because it's not forgotten it's not non-valued because it um Participating in research is more than just producing four-star case, uh, four-star case studies for impact and and uh, monographs and publications that are also four-star and participating in a research environment. It requires a very complex interplay of people, of products, of communications, of um, strategies, all these sorts of things, and it's difficult. So evaluation framework, you know, by merit of having to maintain be be efficient because that's the big thing, yeah. um, but also by 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 spirit of main, you know, being able to, there's a certain amount of time. You've only got one year to do an entire evaluation of something like 191,000 uh, publications, and that's not including the case studies in the environment and the and the case uh, impact templates, all the rest of it. Mm. So there's there's a certain amount of time, and that means pragmatically choices need to be made. These choices are reflectant in the criteria that is established. The criteria is set on priorities, and these priorities are not set by the research community themselves. So the hidden ref was about giving voice to that research community and saying, hey, this is what we value, and this is what we're going to celebrate by recognizing and thanking them publicly for the, for the things that they enable us to do, and also for the outputs that we think are important but are not necessarily refable. So this was what the hidden ref was about. The design of a lot of research frameworks are, around the world are, by merit of this being a very, very small field, are informed by the same voices over and over again, the same types of insights over again. And it can feel, as an ordinary researcher at the bottom of the ref food chain, as very much a top-down decision that's imposed on you, not something that you participate in and construct for your own, around yeah. your own values. That's what the Hidden Ref is about. The Hidden Ref is... It was an exercise and now it's a grassroots movement to inform what we want to value and how we want to be evaluated. That's what the Hidden Rep is about. So essentially a mechanism of co-production to try and get a system that, that people can feel like they're buying into more? Oh, that's putting it in very technical terms, and I wouldn't say oh. no. Um, but we, perf we, I think because I think because the landscape is changing so much, um, and we are such a large group of dynamic people, we don't want to restrict what we are by any particular, you know, t t criterion box that we are co-production on others. I think, 
I think that good research and good research audit frameworks only happens by a two-way interchange between um, the people who run the exercise, the people who evaluate the exercise, and the people who are being evaluated. The main criticism against REF in the in the literature, and there's a lot, a lot of people hate the REF, is they feel non-engaged with what they're being evaluated against. And because they're not engaged, they feel that they're being pushed to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do as high performers in their role. And this is why the hidden REF is really important. We said, look, the REF allows, you know, a, a submission of a variety of different outputs. Um, but up until right 2021, we're only looking at 2.3, 2.7% of all submissions done to the REF for outputs being these non-traditional outputs. Yeah. And what we're concerned about is the software engineer producing a very amazing four-star piece of software that for reasons that uh, will become clear uh, are pushed into, into producing an article because the organization sees that as a safe bet and less risky because these things are linked to funding outcomes. Um, and then they're, they're, they're forced to do a publication. That publication might be two-star, so therefore not even at the fundable level at REF. And then they're undervalued, not because they're not doing good research. Their software is fantastic, but because they're forced into to compact, compacting their research into an output or a dissemination output that's not necessarily appropriate for their work and their field. And this is what the Hidden REF wants to do. Mm-hmm. Just, just before we go on, I wonder if you could, you know, just for our international listeners that maybe haven't experienced REF or, or read much about it, say what two-star, four-star means. Oh, okay. So there is a scale of zero to four for any of the outputs and for the impact case studies as well as the environment. These are the three main criteria in REF 2021. They will change for 2028. Um, and they are ranked on a scale between unclassified, which is appropriate, approximately zero so you don't uh one star two star three star and four star um basically without going into the terminology based on how excellent the the panel believes that particular you know item is interestingly enough because the ref outcomes are linked to funding outcomes for institutions the only things that are eligible to be noted for funding are those ones that receive three star and four star and uh, not all outputs produced in all research in the UK is is submitted to the REF. So organisations have a huge initiative um, incentive to make sure that only the best things are submitted to the REF because they want the vast majority of their outputs to be classified as three and four star because the more three and four star, the more money you get. Um, but that doesn't always, is not always the case. Obviously, the REF has a range of different uh uh, submissions along uh, qualities along there's always going to be a portion that's one star two star three star and four star so universities like I want it to win I want it to be three and four star which means they make competitive decisions about what is a safe bet to get three and four star because we are inherently sometimes conservative when it comes to evaluation approaches because we do evaluate ourselves we are expert on the ref panel uh, where it's seen and perceived that these less risk risky submissions are predominantly text traditional outputs such as publications and monographs to the exclusion of all the other things and all the other wonderful outputs that make research so incredible to work in and produce yeah so last week the the festival happened you had lots of people there and lots of interesting discussions um what what did um what were the 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 big talking points in terms of trying to trying to move us towards that more fair, more effective system? 
Well, uh, when uh, a week after the REF 2028 initial decisions came out, I think that was like in July, June, July this year, um, the hidden REF uh, established the uh, 5% manifesto, which was a challenge given to all universities um, around the country who would otherwise submit to the REF to um, ensure that that 5% of their output submissions contain are these non-traditional outputs, are not publications and not books. And this was specifically done not at the unit of assessment level because for some disciplines, non-traditional outputs are not necessarily relevant. Uh, but at an institution level, when we're looking at 2.7% being non-traditional outputs in, in 2014, that was the REF in 2014, and 2.3% 2 being in the REF for 2021, we didn't think it would be so difficult to encourage, considering the vast amount of uh, research out there, to ask institutes to double that double that to 5% of their overall, that's 5% of about 200,000 out, um, outputs submitted from all universities to be something other than books and publications. Um, this we feel is in line with recognizing the vast different ways in which people contribute to research and research culture. And by doing that, we strengthen our position um, as a value to society by communicating the number of different ways that research results can be disseminated. Mm, great. And and what did people think were the ways that we can kind of move towards that aim of uh, of of a greater number of non-traditional outputs being submitted? Well, I think the way to do that, and this was under discussion, our, our theory of change, if you want to mm -hmm. call it that, Jed, is the fact that we know that institutions make uh, calculated risk-based decision-making about what they're going to submit to the REF because the, the consequences are so high and the cost is so high and the potential benefit is so high. Um, so we feel that by running the hidden REF, which the next hidden REF will be in April 2024, we can use that as a tool for teaching the sector about how to evaluate non-traditional outputs fairly and transparently. And by producing our outcomes about how we can evaluate these aspects of research culture that are otherwise hidden in the REF, we can hopefully get put more confidence back into the sector to put these outputs forward as real refable submissions for REF 2028. So we're hoping to run the hidden REF every two to three years to make sure that we we uh, build this amount of sector confidence in the in the transparent, fair, and perhaps competitive uh, evaluation of non-traditional outputs, but at the same time teach the evaluators and feedback into that system that way. This is how we do it. The other thing is that all institutions will be putting their code of conduct um, together around the REF 2028 submissions and we're hoping that as a movement we can engage far greater people uh, and greater institutions in communicating the importance of recognizing the broad range uh, of uh, aspects to research culture and reflect 5% of those in the output submissions for REF 2028. So it's a combination of knowing when our universities are making decisions, as well as giving them the confidence that these are going to be competitive outputs, and they're not going to suffer the consequences of the fear associated with a non-traditional output being, um, being, being marked down. Something I'd like to consider there from the research is we know that research evaluation is inherently conservative at times, especially when they know about something. <laughs> if they feel confident in evaluating the object in front of them, they act conservatively. So this is why even though universities you know, assess the vast majority of their um, submissions to the REF as three and four star, they only put their best forward. When the REF outcomes come, come out, we see a pretty much an interesting distribution around 
around the one through to four star, star stage, regardless of what the universities say. Um, however, when panels uh, and research evaluation panels, and this is from my own research as well as research in the peer-reviewed literature about peer review, when researchers as panelists uh, encounter something that they're unsure of, an ambiguous criteria, something they've never done before, instead of acting conservatively, they act generously. And they're actually far more likely to give these things higher scores because they don't want to be told they're wrong and no one's going to argue with a higher score. So, um, which makes sense. And this is how groups work. Um, unfortunately, that kind of competitive advantage isn't being communicated through to universities when they make the selections about what, put, what to put forward on their ref submissions. So we hope to um, clarify that by giving them more faith and security um, in the sector by providing more transparency on how to evaluate these non-traditional outputs. And I suppose in some ways the the act of doing the hidden ref regularly would start to counterbalance that positive up correlation on uh... Well, we don't want anyone to get an unfair advantage. We yes. want it to be fair. We just want it to reflect the vast way in which research influences and has outputs. So I mean, I wouldn't it, it's funny right now. So I do realize that by doing the hidden ref, we may may make it far more competitive and lower that score. But I don't think so. There is inherent value in these types of outputs. And I think it's far time we, um, we recognize them as well. Um, these outputs are excellent. They're not any less excellent because they're not published in a journal that no one can access. In fact, they're probably even more excellent because they are more freely available. They are more accessible by people other than academics. And they do research culture more credit by communicating its value so perhaps that's one way we can evaluate these things in the future okay and and in terms of so i've asked about the next steps but what specifically are the hidden ref committee that, that you're part of you know you've had a i've given you a week to reflect on, <laughs> on the festival um so i want to i want to really consider answer obviously uh in terms of what your next steps are as a as a group do you are you trying to grow the group are you are you trying to diversify in terms of uh internationally maybe or so we are all in therapy at the moment to recover <laughs> from the hidden ref festival last week um but we're all in that together so we're still a fantastic team no so the next the next two priorities for the hidden ref festival is to run the hidden ref 2024, which will be in April next year. So if anybody is listening and wants to put a submission forward, we welcome that. It is a joyous experience. It really is. Um, so we hope to continue that joy um, through through um, the Hidden Ref 2024. So that's what the Hidden Ref will be focusing on is putting up the criterion, et cetera, uh, and uh, panel working methods, as well as encouraging submissions for the Hidden Ref 2024. Um, and that will, we hope, um, contribute to great, this greater confidence in the sector that I was talking about previously. Yeah. The other output from the Hidden Ref is obviously we are in the middle of uh, preparing and finalising an output, a white paper. Maybe it's referable, maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> uh, a, a white paper that will dictate... Uh, all or well dictate is the wrong word <laughs> but we'll outline but we'll outline all of the um, discussions and the and the priorities and the ideas that were circulating around the hidden ref festival and there are amazing people there who wouldn't necessarily be central to the to the you know mainstream ref decision making and so we will give them voice again um, in line with our objectives to remain a grassroots organization 
about how to evaluate these non-traditional outputs, both in the hidden ref and then hopefully in the ref. Um, and that white paper will be authored by all of the people who attended the hidden ref festival last week um, in Bristol. And at the same time, I think that will mean that we'll get a whole lot of different people who want to take this further, both talking to their PVCs researchers, talking to their ref leads, talking to their VCs, if that's what it requires, to get them to sign the 5% manifesto and to um, make sure that when submissions are going forward on the departmental level, they can say, what have you done? Like, what about this one? Why didn't you include this one? And ask the questions that institutions need to ask um, in order to promote uh, the role in which these hidden aspects of research culture too. Again, for the hidden ref 20, uh, for the ref 2028, there is a big, big increase of expectation on the now people, culture and environment statement, which is gone. It was the environment statement with 15%. Now it's people, culture and environment. Uh, and it's worth 25% of the overall, um, overall score. That puts it on par with an impact case study. And that is going to be exceptionally important to consider all of these aspects that contribute to research culture, how we can um, recognize them as well as mobilize them to make research culture within universities a nicer place to be. Uh, research can be incredibly hostile, even in its best days, unfortunately, and we laugh about it and we develop dark sense of humor. And But, um, it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it, it should remain that way. So just because something's been the way that it's been done for 20 years doesn't mean it's the way that it should be in the future. And we're hoping that Hidden Ref can challenge this and contribute to that criterion as well by recognising a broader number of people, a broader number of roles, a broader number of aspects of research that are currently hidden by what we evaluate to be important and excellent in research culture. Brilliant. Um just finally, as we kind of head towards the end of the the interview, um, we've mentioned that the the hidden ref itself will happen next um, calendar year. Um, so, if people want to get involved, either as a, a I guess on the review side or a submission side, how how would they do that? We'll get in contact with the organisation committee, um, the advisory committee. I've forgotten what we call ourselves, Jen. It's been so long. It's just now it's just I know that everyone by name. <laughs> I've got everyone's text messages, so like it's fine. Get involved, get in contact with us. Uh, go to the website, which is hidden-ref.org. Look us up, send us an email, um, get in contact and say, what can I do to help? sign the 5% manifesto based both as an individual as well as actively um, actively advocate within your institutions to get the institution to sign on to the 5% manifesto. Grab a badge, a 5% manifesto badge and, and push them and see what we can do. We can, we can achieve this together. And we are the most, every single one of us, the most important parts of research culture. Research, changing research culture is not about necessarily changing guidelines and policies, but how we work together, as well as um, I, identifying what we value and pushing for what we value to be valued by those people who are not um, everyday researchers. And when I say everyday researchers, that's a very broad range of people too, Jed. So people like you, for example, there's no way we could we have a great research culture without people of you, but um, this is what we're trying to do. So get in contact with us, um, have a go, uh, get people to five, uh, sign them 5% manifesto and get people in your institutions to sign the manifesto as well. Um, 
yeah, keep questioning, keep in contact and come to our events. And of course, the most important thing, sorry, I forgot, submit to Hidden Ref 2024 in April. We'd love to hear your case studies. We have a much broader range of categories uh, planned for Ref, Hidden Ref 2024. Um, and it's going to be even more righteous and fun than it was in 2021. And we can't, can't wait to start. Fantastic. And we'll put all those uh, links that you mentioned in the show notes so that people can uh, can just click rather than <laughs> try and rewind and, <laughs> and write down what you uh, what you wrote or what you said. Sorry. Um, Gemma, many thanks for agreeing to be interviewed about the Hidden Ref Festival. I know it was um, <laughs> it, it would have been nice for you to have another few days of relaxing from it if, that, <laughs> if you're actually managing to do that um so i'm sure life has been really hectic organizing it um and i'm sure you really wanted to lie down so thanks for thanks for agreeing to be um to being interviewed um so can i leave it to you to say goodbye to our listeners sure thank you so much for listening i'm actually chuffed to be asked and to talk to jed here Thank you so much for listening and please do uh, get in touch if you're interested in anything hidden ref related or ref related. Um, I'm here to help. Thank you for listening and goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.